0: You have your Bibles this morning, let me encourage you to find First Peter chapter number 2. First Peter chapter number 2. And while you're finding your place in First Peter chapter 2, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever suffered from a case of mistaken identity? Have you ever suffered from a case of, of mistaken identity? Uh, I was visiting a hospital, Brother Robert, uh, many years ago, and as I was making my rounds visiting individuals in the hospital, I Came on one particular floor, and I had already been told uh, by some of the hospital staff there that I looked like one of the doctors that was there, a doctor by the name of Dr. Webster. And I was visiting one day in particular these floors, and I was going in and praying for some of our church members, and I was coming back and I was walking down the hall on this particular floor, and a nurse stopped me, and she said, Dr. Webster, I need to tell you about room 32 I, and just went down through all of this. And I'm standing there and she's looking at me, giving me all this information. And then when she's done, I said, ma'am, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm not Dr. Webster. And she took a step back and she looked at me all the way down to my toes and looked at me all the way back up to my head. And she said, can you talk one more time? I said, I'm not Dr. Webster. She says, I cannot believe this. You and him are Twins. I am so sorry. I said, I'm, my name is Shane. I, I'm a pastor down here at a local church in Clem, and, and uh, I, I apologize. I, I can't help you with his diagnosis, but I can pray for him. I'm a pastor. I'm not a physician. And we just got the biggest laugh out of that. But she really thought that I was somebody that I was not. And I want you to think about this just for a minute. I was at the same hospital that he worked at. I dressed like him. I looked like him. I was on the same floor that he works on and I was in the hospital that he works in the only difference is I am called to minister I'm a doctor of the spiritual sense he is a physician in the physical sense it was a case of mistaken identity really the bottom line when it boils down to it boils down to really basically this what you are determines what you do let me say it again what you are determines what you do when you come to first peter and you make your way to first peter chapter 2 and verse number 4 you see a dramatic shift in what peter is about to tell these gentile christians now i want you to remember the context here that we're looking at The context that we're looking at here in this passage of Scripture is Paul, excuse me, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, has written a letter to the churches of Asia Minor. It's present-day Turkey. That's where Turkey is located today. And these churches were Gentile churches. That is, they were not Jewish churches. They were Gentile churches, so they're individuals just like you and I. Now, were they they, uh, Jews in the congregation? Yes, there were some Jews in the congregation. But the majority of people that were in the congregations there in Asia Minor were Gentiles. They had received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. They were meeting once a week on the first day of the week. And God was blessing them as people were coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. They were growing up in Jesus, but the culture around them, were, they were, it was changing dramatically. Nero was in office, and he was about to pull the trigger on severe persecution. Also, the religious individuals of that area, the Romans and the Roman gods and the Greek gods, all of these individuals that had these religious associations We're doing everything in their power to make their way into the local body of believers to try to change the basic doctrine of the church. And so Peter encourages them and says, Look, you have been saved by grace. Christians are the individuals that God has chosen to use to take the gospel around the world. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And if that sounds like a narrow way of salvation... It is. God's the one that ordained it. God's the one that, that spoke it. God's the one that delivered it. And when you look at 1 Peter, the first chapter is all about your salvation and how wonderful it is. And he ends chapter number one with this term. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He ends chapter 1 with the beautiful graciousness of God himself. And if you've been saved, you know God's gracious. Amen? We get to chapter number 2. And as we get to chapter number 2, well, we find... uh, Excuse me, I I, I meant not the end of chapter 1 was that verse, but it's verse number 3 as he enters into chapter 2. When you get to chapter 2, verse number 4... Peter is going to do a complete change, and he's going to move from this litany of what Christ has passionately done for us as individuals, and now he's going to talk about our identity. He's going to talk about who we are in Jesus Christ. He is going to talk about the fact that what you are determines what you do. Or to put it another way, your actions always follows your identity. Your actions follow your identity. And that is really, that's really why Peter is going to tell us all about our identity. When you look at this passage of Scripture from this passage all the way through the rest of the book, he is going to encourage us how we are to live as born again children of God, how Gentiles are to live. As Christians. So this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, he's going to tell us who we are in Jesus Christ. And as he tells us our identity, he's going to challenge us to walk in that text. Look at what the Bible says, beginning in verse number 4. The Bible says this. He says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even them, to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation." You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word today. I want to ask you this question. Did you see our primary identity in the text? When you take a bird's eye view of chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, what you see as our primary identity as born-again children of God, as Gentile Christians, you and I, collectively as a church body, individually as a Christian, we are ministers of God. We are ministers of God. Now, here's the question. What does that mean? What does it mean that we are are ministers of God? Let me show you because that's the question that Peter answers in the text. Number one, the first thing I want you to see, he says that means that we are living stones in the temple of God. We are living stones in the temple of God. Look at verse number 4 again. I hope you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara. Whatever it is you write with, I don't want you to miss this. So vitally important as to us living as born-again children of God. Notice what the scripture says. He tells us in the text, to whom coming as unto. Now stop right there. He again says, to whom coming as unto a living stone. The first part of this passage of Scripture, as he breaks it down, he simply says, to whom coming as unto. This is an old English. I'm reading from the King James this morning. It is an old English term that means, and coming to him. And coming to him. Him who? Jesus. And coming to Jesus. It means to draw near. It means to have an intimate fellowship. It means to have a very close association. It means to have passionate worship it's a reference to their salvation it's simply saying that there was a time a point in your life when you came to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior and lord but it but it's much more than just the past it's in the present tense which means something that happened in the past that they're continuing to do today. We can associate it with what we're doing today. Every first day of the week, every Sunday, we congregate, we come together, and we passionately worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why? Because sometime in our past, some point in our past, we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. The Holy Spirit dwelt inside of us. And now we want, we desire, we want to come together in fellowship with each other that we might passionately worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He tells us here in the text to whom coming as unto you have come to Jesus and you come in salvation, but you continually come week after week as you're coming to a living stone. You see it there? There's the second term you must know. The second term here, a living stone, is a reference to the resurrection. He's not a dead stone, he ain't a rolling stone, he's the living stone. <laughs> He is alive. He is alive today. It is a reference to the, to the resurrection of Jesus. And here's what's fascinating. Do you remember what Jesus, when, when, when Jesus changed Peter's name, when God changed Peter's name, you remember he called him Peter. And, and he says, you're going you're to be a rock. But he says, my church is going to be built on the big rock. Now, there's a, there's a religion out there today that has taken that and ran with it and says the church is built upon Peter. I love the fact that in Peter's letter, in Peter's letter to the church, he never, he never points to the fact that the church is built upon him. He says the church is built upon the living, the resurrected stone. And the resurrected stone is Jesus Christ. So he's saying our identity. As born-again children of God is we first and foremost have come to the living stone, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and we keep coming back time after time after time after time. Not for salvation. That's why we came the first time. But we come back every week to passionately worship King Jesus. And so he's encouraging them in the fact that they are living stones in the temple of God. Now, let's go on. Look at what the scripture says. The Bible goes on to say, Which was disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. He's taking the Gentiles' thoughts all the way back to the Old Testament in thinking about what temples are all about. The temple was the place that you would come and worship this false God. Or in old days, in Old Testament uh, times, the temple for the Jews would be where you come and worship the one true God. But we know that the temple where the one true God was worshipped was destroyed in A.D. 70. And so as it was destroyed and completely wiped out, it was not built again. It hasn't been built again. And so Peter is encouraging these Gentile Christians to say, look, there are other temples that are out there. Those are false temples. The temple that I'm talking to you about is one that's mobile. It is a mobile temple. To those Jews that are located in the congregation, the temple you're thinking about was destroyed in A.D. 70. And so we find that this temple that's been presented to us This temple that's been given to us was disallowed by those that are present in in this culture. They hate the church. They want to destroy the church. Nero wants to wipe out the church. And yet Peter says that it was disallowed indeed of men, but it was chosen by God. God chose the fact that God's redeemed people would congregate together, and they would be living stones. They would be living stones that were connected to the living stone, which made up the foundation of the temple of God. You see, God does not live in this house. This is not the house of God. You, born-again child of God, you are the house of God. And you are the house of God. If you've got Jesus living inside of you, you are the house of God. I got an old barn on my property. And uh, I was just out there the other day looking at it. And this old barn is on a foundation of rocks. Uh, those old timers, they just took them rocks and they stacked them up and got them as level as they could. And uh, They built that old barn out there. And, and man, it's still standing today. When the winds come, it doesn't move. When the rains come, it doesn't fall. It's on a sure foundation. And though I've seen things and I've I've watched the ground kind of wash underneath it, the rocks that are there, the foundations that are there are strong, are true. It was their chosen, it was the builder's chosen desire to have those rocks as the foundation. The same is true with God. When it comes to God, God looked down eons of time and says, I'm going to choose my church. My church is going to be the temple. And the church is not a building but a people. And the people are those that come to know Christ as personal Savior and Lord. And look at what he says. I love this part. Did you see it in the text? He tells us there in the text in verse number 4. He says that they've been chosen of God. And it's precious. It is precious. You, listen to me, child of God. You are precious in God's sight because if Jesus is precious... You are precious. He tells us here in the text, he says that you're a living stone in the temple of God. And look, notice this. Oh, boy, this is good in the latter part. In the latter part of the verse, he says, ye also as lively stones. Do you see the plurality there? Did you notice it in the text? I would make sure I note that. Because when the scripture is talking about a living stone, it's plural. I mean, excuse me, it's singular. That's Jesus. When the Bible talks about lively stones, that's plural. That's us. That's us as a congregation. It's us as born-again children of God. We are living stones. That is to say, as a born-again child of God, death may overtake this body, but I'm going to live forever. I'm going to live forever in Jesus. I am part of the living stone, the living house of God that according to Scripture that says are built up, that has built up a spiritual house. Again, it's an Old Testament reference to the temple that was destroyed in A.D. 70. He's just simply saying is the temple still exists. It's just not a church. It's you. So so, so think about it like this. You come to church with a hat on, and you get all worked up about it. And you say, man, I ought to take that hat off in the house of God. That don't mean nothing. God don't live here. If you want to take the hat off, take the hat off because it's owned the house of God. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying in the text. He's saying that you are the temple of God. And he says, because you're the temple of God, we collectively come together and we make up the house of God. We are living stones in the temple of God. That's our identity. Number two, let me show you a second thing. Not only that, but he says, we are also a holy royal priesthood. We are a holy royal priesthood. Look at verse number five. He says this. He goes on to say, he says, ye also are lively stones are built up A spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus. You are a royal, holy priesthood. So wait a minute, preacher. That just said holy priesthood. Wait a minute. Let me show you something else. Look down at verse number 9. The Bible says this. In describing his church, in describing his people, he says, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood. You see it there? This term is taking us back up to verse number 5. He's taking us back up to verse number 5 to tie this in to the holy priesthood that we're a part of. He tells us that we are a holy, that is set apart, a sanctified, and a, a, a set apart people. We are holy, but he also says there that you are also royal. There's some royal, there's some nobility to who you are. You, you are somebody. Don't you dare let this world tell you you're a nobody. God thinks you're a somebody, child of God. God says you are royalty. You are part of a royal, holy priesthood. What is that? A priesthood. You think about the priesthood uh, that the Scripture is talking about. This is taking us back to the Old Testament priesthood. Uh, The primary term here, the primary purpose for the priest was to intercede between the people and God. They're the ones that talk to God. The people could not talk to God. As a matter of fact, this is, oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. I'm about to get excited. Oh, my goodness. This is taking us back to Exodus chapter number 19. You remember what happened in Exodus 19? Exodus 19, Moses is there. God comes to Moses in Exodus chapter 19 and says, The children of God are going to be a royal priesthood. They're going to be a holy priesthood. They're going to be a holy nation. Uh, Let's go back. Go back. Let's go back. Genesis, uh, Exodus. Go to Exodus chapter 19. Let me just show you. Exodus chapter number 19. uh, Very, very important. I lost my notes and Jeff's card. Let me put it up here. All right, there we go. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss. This is good. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 19, God's speaking to Moses Uh, He's talking to Moses, the children of Israel coming to Mount Sinai God is like a ring of fire around Mount Sinai The the mountain is holy the mountain is God's dwelling place God wants to tabernacle with his people he wants to meet with his people Notice what God says to Moses in chapter 19 of Exodus verse number 5 He says now therefore If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a particular treasure unto unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak to the children of Israel. So get the picture here. God just told Moses, I want you to tell the people, I want to make them a holy priesthood. All of them. So God tests the children of Israel. And he says, if you'll continue reading, I'm running out of time, but you read the rest of this story a little bit later this week. God tells them in the story, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to test your faith this way. Do not come up Mount Sinai until the trumpet blasts. When you hear the trumpeters blast the trumpet, then the children of Israel are to come up through the smoke because God's going to rest on the mountain and he's going to come down on the mountain and it's going to be thunder, it's going to be lightning, it's going to be loud, it's going to like it's going to be an awful storm. Moses, you're going to be able to hear my voice. The children of Israel are only going to be able to hear thunder and lightning and weather patterns. It's going to be big. The reason why God did this is to test their faith. Please hear me on this. God wants your faith to grow and the only way your faith will ever grow is if he tests it. He has to test your faith in order for it to grow. So he's testing the faith of the children of Israel. He says, I want to make you a holy nation. I want to make you a royal priesthood. I want to be the one that you talk to directly. I don't want there to be any intercession. I want everybody, not just the Levites, everybody to be a priest. So Moses tells the people, they wait three days. God says, purify yourself for three days. So they wash their clothes. They wash their bodies. They do not participate in any type of, uh, of marital uh, relationships. And the next, that on the third day, it's very plain. that He says, look, I don't want anybody to go up the mountain until the trumpet blasts. In fact, he says, I'm so serious about this. If you do it, you're going to die. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill the animals, and I'm going to kill the people that try to go up the mountain before the trumpet blast. So everybody's on standby waiting. God comes down, and the trumpet sounds. And as God is speaking to Moses, it is like a hurricane. There is thunder, there is lightning, there is massive. G- g- Moses is hearing God's voice, but the people are like, whoa. Whoa. And the trumpet's still blasting. And the people are looking at each other. And they say, I ain't going up. Are you going up? I ain't going up. I ain't going up. And they don't go up. Moses says, I'll go up and sacrifice myself. And so Moses steps in front of the people as the trumpets are blasting. And he goes up. Chapter 20 tells us, in hindsight, what the children of Israel were thinking. They were scared. The Bible says they were scared. And the test that God put them to, to grow their faith, to make them a holy, royal priesthood, ended. Fast forward 2,000 years later. Jesus has died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. He's established his church. And we find here in the text as Peter is writing to Gentiles. He writes to these Gentiles and he tells them. He says... You that have come to Jesus Christ as a personal Savior and Lord. You are a holy priesthood. I was uh, given an invitation one day, David. And As I was given this invitation, I can't believe I'm out of time. I was given this invitation. This guy comes forward. He shakes my hand. He says, preacher, I got to confess my sins to you. And I looked at him, I said, hold up, buddy. I don't want to hear all that. He said, well, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yes, sir. I'm a preacher, but you need to understand this. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. You can tell me your sins all day long, but I can cover them, but I can't forgive them. I cannot forgive them. And yet, we were to confess our sins one to another, but we do that so that we might love one another and cover their sins. You don't need your sins covered. You need your sins forgiven. Shared the gospel with him. He received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. And at that moment when he received Christ, he became a holy, royal priest to go to God and take his sins to God. See, friend, you don't have to come to me. That's not what the Scripture is talking about. The Scripture is talking about how you, as a born-again child of God, you are a holy priesthood. But I want you to notice this. Look at what the Bible says here in the text, verse number 5. He says, to offer, you see it there, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. What is that? What are the spiritual sacrifices that you offer? Well, the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews what those spiritual sacrifices actually are. There are some times where when we give a sacrifice to the Lord, it is sacrificial. That is to say, sometimes we do it and it hurts. What does the Bible say about the sacrifice that we give? If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews Hebrews chapter number 13. Hebrews chapter 13, I want you to look at verse 15 and 16 and see what the spiritual sacrifices you and I offer to God as a priest. Notice what the Bible says. Verse number 15, the scripture says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. You know what that is? You got your pins out? That's the sacrifice of your lips. That's the sacrifice of your lips. You you ever met Christians, man, their lips sticks out about this far? I mean, they trip over it. I mean, you just, how are you doing, brother? Man, God's on the throne. How are you doing? Well, if you ever feel like that, it's at that moment you need to give God the sacrifice of your lips. Offer the sacrifice of praise. To your lips, to him, from your lips to God. But I'm going to tell you what, there are things we can praise God for. Uh, you, you look out in this world today, as awful and as difficult this, as this world is, I'm telling you, God's still on the throne. God still loves you. Did you know out of one, a one out of ten, you're pegging a ten on God's love for you? Every single day so much so that God does not have a plan B for your life He is operating on plan a and always has since the beginning of your creation God is in Control and if God be for us who can be against us and if I'm a child of God I know how this thing's this thing ends so whatever trial I'm in whatever testing that I'm in it's my Responsibility as a born-again child of God to offer to him the sacrifice of praise with my lips, even when I don't want to. I want you to notice a second one here. He says, not only do we need to offer God the sacrifice of our lips, he says, we also need to offer the sacrifice of our actions. Look at what the Scripture says, Hebrews again, chapter number 13, verse number 16. He says, but to do good, there's another one, your actions. You ought to offer the sacrifice of your actions to do good. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means for me. This is what it means for me. It means I'm standing there, and I'm in a hurry. That's the story of my life. I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry, and I'm pumping gas, and I'm ready to go, and i got to go. And all of a sudden, I look up, and here he comes. He's coming to me. I've got this thing. I must be on my vehicle. I can't see it, but others can. It says, come ask me for money. They come up and they say, sir, can I talk to you just for a minute? Yeah. And, and, and inside, I'm already in turmoil because I'm late. I've am got to go. I've got to be somewhere. And they say, hey, I'm down on my luck. I just, you know, I get all the spill." And I've got a decision to make inside. Am I going to see this as a divine appointment? Because I don't believe in coincidence. Is this a divine appointment? And if this is a divine appointment, God, what are you wanting me to do here? And I want to be honest with you, without any exceptions, it's always clear in my heart, I know exactly what the Lord wants me to do. That is listen and do everything in my power, To the best of my ability at that moment in time to offer a cold cup of water that is me to need and share the gospel of Jesus Christ and there are many times when that happens to me that I've got to have an attitude check and when I have that attitude check and stop Lift my hands up to God and say, okay, just on the inside, not, not, not physically. I mean, this guy's, I'm not t- telling you, I'm pumping gas. This guy's talking to me. And I go, hang on just a second. Oh, God. i <laughs> yeah. Okay, now, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in my heart, I'm saying, okay, God, this is a divine appointment. I'm going to give you the sacrifice of a good deed because I don't want to. It's a sacrifice. Let me give you a third one. Here's the third sacrifice that we offer to God. Notice what the scripture says. The Bible says, and so your lips, your actions, and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You want to please God, Christian? You got to clearly understand that you are a living stone in the temple of God, You are a holy royal priesthood which offers spiritual sacrifice with your lips, with your lifestyle, that is your actions. And also, we find here in in the text, you also offer the sacrifice, uh, if you would, of fellowship. That's what he means. The word communication there in the text means fellowship. It's to get together. What is he talking about here, pastor? Remember, remember, when you're thinking about a local church and you're talking about all of us are living stones and we all come together as living stones. As we come together as living stones, there are some people over here in this part of the church that are members and been members for a long time. You do not necessarily know the people over here on this side that have been coming all these years. Especially those that may become at 11, 11 o'clock service. Don't, is that, are they still here? Yeah, they're still here. Don't know them. Who is that? Who are these new faces? So in order for us to fellowship together as we're attempting to do, we have our Sunday school and our small groups. Getting to a small group many times is a Sacrifice. According to the Word of God, we need to offer the sacrifice of fellowship. That is, when it's hard, there are seasons in our lives where we need community. That's what he's talking about. The writer of Hebrews is saying, you as a born-again child of God, you as a royal priesthood, part of the living stones of the temple of God, you've got to have fellowship. And because you've got to have fellowship, this is going to be a sacrifice. It's going to be hard to get plugged in. It's going to get hard. It'll be hard to plug into a Sunday school. It'll be hard to plug into an in-home small group. This is a difficult chore because it means you've got to set aside some time. And if you've got children, man, that's another difficulty in there. But I'm willing to offer the sacrifice of fellowship because it pleases God. You want to please God? Offer Him the sacrifice of fellowship. Offer him the sacrifice of your actions. Offer him the sacrifice of your lips. Let me give you just these two and I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to talk about it, but there's two other parts of your identity. Let me give you the third one. The third one is this. He tells us back in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you are also a chosen race and a holy nation. You're a chosen race. What, are you, what race is he talking about? Is he talking about... Uh, um, ethnicity? No, no, no. Listen, he's talking about Christianity. You are a Christian. You are a part of the human race. And as a Christian, part of the human race, you are a holy nation. You represent a holy nation. This world is not our home. You think about it. You talk about, you, you talk about making the Jews mad. The Judaizers, those that that follow Judaism, they are upset over this. Because Peter is looking to these Gentile people. And he's saying, God's chosen you. He's chosen you. You are God's chosen people. Now, does God still have a plan for Israel? Yes, he does. He's not saying he doesn't in the text. He's fulfilling the requirements of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Where God made a promise to Abraham to make his descendants great. And part of his descendants being great was the fact that we as Gentiles are engrafted in to the nation of Israel through the love and the blood of Jesus Christ, as we've come to him, where God looks down and he doesn't just see Israel as his chosen people, but he sees the, those that have come to Christ and all that have been engrafted in, that it spills out over Israel and it goes to all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, everyone that comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And then he says a fourth thing. He says, you're a chosen race, a holy nation. He says, you are a people for God's own possession. Did you see it there in the text, verse 9 and 10? He says in the text, he says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him that's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why has God called us? So that we could praise him saying, I'm going to tell you why the, the only way I was rescued was by Jesus. And then he says in verse number 10, look at that and here. I'll close it out with this. He says, which in times past were not a people, but are now a people. In fact, not a people, but the people. The people of God, which had not obtained mercy. You remember what the Jews called us? Remember what we were called, David? We were dogma. You're a dog! He says in verse number 10, he says, which had not obtained mercy, but now. Now, good, isn't it, brother? It's good. Now you have obtained mercy. What the children of Israel could not do at Mount Sinai. If you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, you went through the fire cloud and tabernacled with God to the point where He identifies you as a child of God. And you were part of His temple, you were a holy royal priesthood. He has shown you mercy, He has given you grace. And he has set you free as a holy nation to make his name great. Look, I'll tell you what. I've heard people say, uh, thank, thank God for Roe v. Wade. I am so grateful for that. 50 years. 50. We should have never gotten in that mess to begin with. But it ain't over yet. It ain't over yet. We as Georgia Baptists that are citizens of heaven have to make sure as a holy, royal nation that we uphold what this says. Which means we've got to live it. We got to speak it and we got to do it for God's glory. Have you ever been, have you ever suffered from the case of a mistaken identity? May God use you in such a way that people will never mistake who you are as a child of God. May they look at you and may they see Jesus for his glory. Could we bow for prayer? I'm out of time. We're going to have to really go quick on this invitation. So here's what I want to do this morning. If you're here today and if you were to say, you know what, preacher? Man, I don't have that kind of relationship with God. I don't have it. I'm more like the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. They were at the bottom of Mount Sinai. I ain't going up. I'm scared. I'm scared. I want you to understand this, dear friend. To reject Jesus Christ and his Messiahship means you reject God. And to reject God is to be eternally separated from him for eternity. God does not want that. God clearly made a way. He clearly made a way for you to have a relationship with Him. If you want that relationship from your heart to God, would you say something like this to Him? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that You are the Messiah. And this morning I ask You to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name.